The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Well, welcome. We are back with Shaken and Stirred. It is me, Nigel Barker, and I am with my great friend, Tom Astor, who is in England because we are social distancing, aren't we, Tom? We are. We are a long way apart, but we're together on this one and we're joining the, the Zoom cocktail hour. It's become a thing, hasn't it? Yeah, it's become something that's probably ended up in a dictionary. Oh my God, what Zoom cocktail? <laughs> it's so tragic, isn't it? Hopefully it'll, be, hopefully it'll be long forgotten, you know, within a year we won't even remember. Although maybe we should be patenting just that. We should be trademarking the Zoom cocktail, an actual cocktail called the Zoom. The Zoom, easy to make, anyone can do it. Make it out of like the last things that you find in your fridge. Yeah, why not? You also have to have it alone. You're not allowed to have it with people. You have to be at a distance. <laughs> Tragic. Tragic, but incredibly important. I think it's very, very important. Well, look, we're doing this. It's a little different. It's not what any of us had planned, but ultimately, Shaken and Stirred is about what's unplanned. It's about asking the hard questions, about having some fun. It's about basically enjoying a drink with friends, which is what we're, we're going to do. We've got a great guest today. Um, but before we get there, a little booze news. What's going on in the world of alcohol? And interestingly enough, Snoop Dogg, who's not necessarily known for being a wine connoisseur, has partnered with 19 Crimes, which is an Australian vineyard, and is coming out with his own red called Snoop Cali Red. You know, it, it's going to be, I think, rather great. It's a Petit Syrah Zinfandel Merlot mix. Um, and it's going to sell for just 12 bucks a bottle, which I think is a great deal. You know? That's cheap. It's that good. Cheap, doesn't it? I know. Fantastic. Listen, hat off to him. It's interesting. 19 Crimes, um, I guess they see the partnership being an interesting one there. They're known, they call themselves 19 Crimes because the wine, being an Australian wine, the 19 Crimes represent, I guess, the 19 crimes you could, you could commit back in the day that would take you from England to Australia, many of which were for doing very simple things like stealing a loaf of bread or even, in fact, impersonating an Egyptian which, quite frankly, after having his wine, is probably what you're going to end up doing. <laughs> or smoking a joint, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Or smoking a joint. Tom, what's going on in England? Anything in the booze news well? No, you know, uh, the only thing that's, that's, that's uh, kind of jumped out at me recently is on the day Donald Trump cut, decided to cut the World Health Organization's funding, the World Health Organization pleaded to countries around the world to tighten up on the alcohol consumption laws in the lockdown because contrary to popular belief that, that it's been spreading around out there, alcohol does not kill the coronavirus. <laughs> and actually, drinking up of it weakens your immune system and makes you more susceptible to getting ill, which is a really depressing bit of business, but it's business nonetheless. I'm not quite so, sure that's true. I don't believe in the WHO on this one. I'm like, who? Well, no, no, no. I think the point is this, the point is that you can have a cocktail, right? So you can sit down and have a cocktail or two. I think the, I think the, the, the message was, if you get pissed, it's not a good idea. Well, all I can tell you is my great aunt Irene drank sherry till she was pink in the face every night, pickled herself pretty much, and lived until the bright old age of 96. So hopefully it's constitutional. It's a lottery, I think, more than constitutional. What are you drinking, Tom? I'm having, I was going to have a Negroni, but when I went to my bar, I couldn't find any red vermouth because Negroni is a gin, vermouth, and Campari. Um, so instead, I've just opted for, as the weather's been so good here recently in England, I've reminded myself of the Mediterranean and of Italy, and I'm having a Campari and soda, which is a refreshing alternative and less, you know, less sweet than the Aperol spritz. And it's, you know, for me, it's, it's, late, it's late in the evening doing, doing this podcast. So 
you know, an Aperol spritz at this stage is too sickly and an Agroni actually probably also would have been too strong. So I've opted for a, for a freshing like Campari Senna. I love the fact that you really think this through. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's probably the only thing you think through all day, actually, isn't it, really, John? <laughs> I'm opening a bottle of Empress 1908 gin um, that has the most extraordinary colour. It is a sort of blue-purple. It really looks something like out of a... I don't know, like an old doctor's office or something. It's it's really mycidinal looking. And the colour is imparted from some kind of weird, delicate butterfly pea, apparently. Um, it sounds really quite gross, but the smell is divine, which, of course, gins are all about the botanicals. Now, people can't see this if they're you know, obviously listening, but it is literally yeah. blue in colour. Um, quite extraordinary. They, they recommend using tonic. So I've got... One of my favourite tonics, which is the spectacular tonic water, which I adore. I've got a giant ice cube because I like one ice cube, not too many. And it, look at that, guys. It changes colour with the tonic water and it went purple. I love it. It's like what, a scientific what reaction. What makes it go blue? What is, what it is, is apparently the, the, the pea. The pea. Um, the, blue. the blue pea that they use, uh, they, they write on the bottle at least, is what imparts that colour. Uh, which, you know, makes it, I guess, it's just interesting. Let's cheers, chin chin. Cheers, my friend. This, this evening I was um, I was watching <laughs> television for once because I don't normally watch television, but I was watching Gardener's, Gardener's World and they were recommending planting that very same pea, this incredibly deep purple coloured pea with, with a German sounding Blexendorf or had some kind of German sounding name. And I wonder if it's the same thing I may have been witnessing. Well, now I come round, I expect to have my gin flavoured but not um, coloured by your pee. <laughs> Listen, we are super excited with our next guest. You will definitely recognise her voice because she, it's the most one of the most beautiful voices I've ever heard. And quite frankly, when she sings, you know, it's like caramel. To say it's delicious, it's better than my cocktail that I'm drinking right now, <laughs> I can tell you that. Um, Grammy award-winning singer, songwriter, producer, and just all around wonderful, beautiful woman. Estelle, thank you for coming on Shaken and Stirred. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you got me a garage right? Estelle, you're in LA, right? I'm in LA, which means technically I'm day drinking right now, but it's a Friday and also, who cares? <laughs> well, we've got England, Oxford, we've got New York and we've got LA. So we've, we've got it all, man. We're going around the world on this one. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, what are you drinking right now, Estelle? I was going to drink an Aperol Spritz, but I said I went with Johnny Walker Black and Ginger. So what's about to happen right now? You stepped it up. I'm crazy. <laughs> Turn up time. So what's that about? Is that a drink you normally go to? It is. Um, normally. At lunchtime. Yeah. Well, like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Perfect. No, uh, <laughs> normally it's, it's like my uh, get to it drink. So like if I'm outside, normally when you go outside and you're at clubs or whatever events or whatnot, right? They want to give you vodka. Or tequila and one well tequila makes me fat tequila makes you fat tequila makes me fat i can't How? do it i thought oh, it was a diet drink no tequila is all sugar everything just fyi i don't care what they make it out of it's all sugar it's not and, skinny margarita then it's not the skinny bitch drinks that everyone's talking about all the lights look I'll, I'll give you a story about that one in, in a minute but like tequila makes you fat and and vodka wipes out my vocals like i can't sing talk on any kind of white liquor why do you have to make it a white thing? 
and he's gonna go there. What's that about? I'll say this. All right, rephrase it. Any kind of clear, see-through liquor, white wine. Yeah, yeah. I'm drinking a purple drink right now, so there you go. <laughs> All right, so you can actually, actually, Estelle, I'd already say you've already made it a black and ginger thing as well. You see, Johnny Walker Black and Ginger. Look, I'm staying on brand today. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a second. The white um, liquors. What ruin your vo vocals. Is that something that, that is universal for everyone or is that something just for you? This happens to me, a couple of my other cigarette friends, it happens to them, but some of them it doesn't touch at all. So I think it's just me. Like I was not, I'm, the only clear liquor I can drink is champagne. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny thinking about what you're saying. When I think about people like nations that sing, and the alcohols that they have. When right. you think of a bunch of Russians, you know, singing, it, you, you all of a sudden think, you know what? Those kinds of songs aren't the ones I want to listen to. But when you think about a place like Scotland and the Scottish singing their songs around the, you know, drinking their whiskeys or, or the, yeah. you know, it's got a lot more melody to it. So it kind of makes sense. I just feel it. I'm with you. I'm on the same. It makes all the sense. It's smooth. It's lovely. It's it's smoky. It, I have that kind of voice anyway, so. It, Ooh, it, I love that. You know, you just described yourself right there, didn't you? The, oh. the smoky aspect. But you don't smoke, do you? No. That was a little, that was a little denying. You're hiding your face now. Okay, you know, but I'm not going to You know, I smoke edibles. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no. Yeah, um, not cigarettes. I live in LA. I don't smoke cigarettes, but I live in LA. Yeah, I get it. No, it's all legal in LA. We like that. I mean, hey. Well, not, not that that's, you know, anyone's judging on this show, that's for sure. So what's the seek, what's the deal with the tequila? We're talking about, you said it makes you fat. Everyone talks about tequila being the one to drink. All the kind of cool kids are drinking it because apparently the calories are low. Is it that you're drinking too much or? Technically, apparently the calories are lower in vodka. Apparently. Okay. Um, so like when I, when I was like trying to be fit and stay in shape and keep my size two Versace dresses right it was like <laughs> so my daughter was like you have this um, thing where you have to like not do sugar and blah, blah blah I was like okay cool so I went and I was like okay no sugar which is one I can't drink and she was like well tequila's gonna knock like it's gonna do do damage and I was just like what and then it started to like dawn on me because I remember being on tour once and I went on tour with size two and I came out size eight like okay. it was it was a two month tour and I swear to goodness and none of my dresses fit. And I was you blamed tequila. And I, no, because we had a tequila on my rider and we had like bottles of tequila every night. And so I was young. I was like Tom, bottles oh. of tequila on the rider. <laughs> We're doing something wrong, Tom. <laughs> well, I'm I'm slightly hang on, I'm really confused because I don't know about dress clothes sizes, but a size eight in England is basically model size and a size no, two okay, so let's, let's 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 flip it around it was like i was, went on the road and i was a size six i want to say in england and i came off a size 12. okay right suddenly i was like you're a bit worried that you would start it off like <laughs> like a minus zero yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. i went on the road to size six and i came off a size 12 and that was just like nothing fits this is wild oh my goodness like nothing nothing would fit and then like i was going through it with my trainer and she was like what do you do this whole two months and i was just like well we had tequila she was like what are you doing? And between her and my daughter, and I was just like, okay. And I noticed it every time I drink tequila, for real, seriously now. It's like, and the older you get, you gotta keep your balance and stay healthy and stuff. And I noticed it like specifically, if I go for a week and I've drunk tequila back to back to back, I blow, like I get chubby. It's just like, I don't fit my clothes. Takes a minute oh. to get it. Nigel is gonna, you know, you just kind of slightly ruined a big part of his life because his favorite drink is tequila. And he's obviously, as you know, totally obsessed about his sort of, you know, fitness and workout, you know? 
Nigel, what are you going to do about this? I mean, this is I, terrible. Basically, I, I'm going to have to sort of go through my tequila cabinet, which is quite extensive. And I was hoping for a huge tequila endorsement. But now, quite frankly, <laughs> if it's going to make me fat, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> you don't need... You're good, Nigel. You look amazing. You always look amazing. Stop it. Like, come well, on. Well, you know, honey, as they say, brown don't frown. Hey! <laughs> Please don't give him any more compliments because he just, you know, he like drags them out for days. And it's just painful. <laughs> that's that's I love it. So let's go back. I want to just go back a bit. I'd love to talk about your career and, you know, you, a West London girl, Hammersmith, right? Yeah, Hammersmith, West London. Hammersmith, West Cairn and Fulham. Wow, okay. Mm. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sort of Fulham, a bit of Fulham in me. I was there for about eight or nine years as, as a kid growing up. What was it like for you as a kid growing up at that point in London? Oh my goodness, I grew up in, in the UK from the time I was born there and then I moved to the US when I was 27. It, it was like all of the culture that's kind of being like reformatted now, we were there, I was there the first time. So like just the, the dressing, the vibes, the earrings, the, the hair, the stuff, like the 80s culture that everyone's kind of reformatting and putting back up again. We were there, I was there the first time, you know what I mean? I was young but I was there and kind of caught it. And that's like what brought me and all my music together and brought all my references. My OGs in fashion are people that, to me, you know, if you look at their catalog and we, we speak about their catalog and things now, it's like, oh my goodness, this, like you were there with Andy Warhol and you were also there with Pam Hogg in the UK. And you know what I mean? Like people that I really, I just, I'm just grateful to have been there you know as well as in the in the reggae scene in the hip-hop scene i grew up in a huge family too so you're one of eight right they're one of nine one of nine wow yeah. that's incredible so like all of our like all of our family stuff like the, the fashion for us was like hand-me-downs right and stuff that your friends knew and your cousins could get and things like that like which is i think is everyone's story in the uk we're not like the we're not the people that are like well every child has to have their own fresh you wore your, your family stuff right I never got a new pair of clothing until I was bigger than my brothers. Exactly. Like you, you can you either can't fit it or you can buy your own. And when I was seven, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. So like it was a very close but like regular, regular childhood. Like no, well, you say regular, but I mean there's nothing that regular about being one of nine growing up <laughs> in West London. You know, no. one, one of nine is like sort of going back to like the Amish or something. I don't know who has one of nine. I mean it's uh, the only other person I know is one of nine is I think Jay Manuel and Jay Alexander. Sorry, right. this Jay has, is like one of a huge sort of I don't know a lot of kids. It's, it takes a lot to push through. What number are you in that? Number two. Number two. So you Older. bossy sister? No, I'm just the grown sister. Like I I would have thought out all of the things and and organized all of the things before like we touch down right before anything goes through. So to a degree my sisters now do that because like it's almost like a competing thing i figured it out before she came and had to figure it out <laughs> you well, know you have time to, for music then i mean you know being if you're, you're one of nine you've got you know there's a lot going on obviously music's a part of everyone's life but I, I don't mean just listening to music when did it become a part of you you know the way you wanted to express yourself how did that happen at that age i think um the one thing we had and i feel like days went longer back then when you're a kid days like seem to you get up at seven in the morning for no reason, right? When you're a child and you're just up, annoying the crap out your parents. So like, and the older I got, you know, like my mom was very much like get up and do something in the house. So the days would be so long. So like by 
mid-afternoon, I'd be like, oh, and you know, I would go up in my room and listen to music or if I was in school or whatever. And I would, and I would just be in my room by myself, headphones on, listening to all my favorites, Mary J, Missy, sorry, my nose is running. Mary J, Missy, uh, everybody, Jodeci, Bob Marley, uh, all the reggae artists I love, the, you know, like I would just be, that would just be my whole, my thing would just be in my room with my headphones on, like listening and learning harmonies. Cause in between church, my mom definitely didn't have any money for like a singing teacher or anything like that. Or there was no like extra classes. It was just like, here's what you're going to do. Like, you know, like you're going to go to school, you're going to do the things, you're going to go to church. This is all I got for you right now until I got to college. And then it was like, okay, well, there's a mentor course and there's other things that will help me. But did you know, people, when did they recognize that you had a great voice? I mean, was it, did someone, was, that, was there a dawning moment when someone just heard you sing and went, wait a second, nod? You know, I used to have it like, I think I couldn't, I couldn't tell you when it happened. I think, and it's always like, you, you, your mom's got to tell you you're good, right? Um, my dad was, my dad's a drummer. So it was a little bit of a, and I never knew, I never met my dad seriously till I was like 17. And then again, when I was 23. Okay, so it was just, it was a very strange turnaround with my mom, my dad, and blah, blah, blah. But I think my mom realized I was really good at doing music when I was like 20, 19, was it 19 or 20, 19 or 20? I was on the road, I would just go off and be on the road with Black Twang and like another British rapper, and I would just be gone for like a week or a long weekend and be like, I'm fine, I'm gonna go on the road and I'm gonna rap these songs I wrote. And she was like, be safe. <laughs> what you know obviously she did the parent thing she did the vetting of who these people were and she did her she did her research and read the magazines and my like my brother would vouch for them like no no they're good she's all right and i would come off the road and and then she'd be like you really was out there rapping like and doing music she knew that we could sing but she didn't she didn't know i was gonna do this you know where were you doing that where were you touring just around no all around the uk we went to all around germany all around Europe, we just, we went everywhere. And I was like 19, my mom was just like, okay, call me if anything, you have a mobile phone. <laughs> um, I trust you. And then my sister would come with me too. So it was two of us out there. And you know, she would back me up and be my hype person. And my DJ would come with us. So it was the three of us just moving and rolling with Black Twang. And then they were like big brothers too. So, you know, Black Twang at the time was married. So he wasn't doing foolishness. He was like, really like big brother. You know, he's like, I was like, look out for his wife to a degree. <laughs> so, so it was like, it wasn't so bad. And it was like quick trips in and then out, quick trips for uh, four days out a week back home, you know. So it wasn't dangerous. It was just like, when you think about it now, it was dangerous, but it wasn't dangerous because everything was taken care of. It was a real tour, you know, and tours on his behalf too. So it was like, it's like training camp for now, you know. No, absolutely. It's interesting. You just called out Back Twang. You talked about him being like a little naughty. You do that in a lot of your songs too. I mean, that, the, the Kanye American boys, you sort of, you know, you have a way of like snapping the guy down or like, I like that though. It's kind of cheeky, but you do it. Where does that come from? What's that? That's like your, mater, your maternal side. Is that your big sister side? Is that? Yeah. I, it's like, it's like, I've, I grew up around guys. Like I've always like, you know, like, oh, they're, they're family. Like a lot of them, the thing I noticed about a lot of the guys, a lot of the artists I work with, they're used to people walking up to them and being like, oh, and you're this person. And then they never get to really be themselves, right? They kind of have to like live up to the hype. And 
I'm, I'm, I'm not that human just in general. When I walk in a room with you, if I like you, I like you. If I don't, I don't. And pretty much that's it. So with a lot of the guys that I've worked with, we come to an understanding quickly, you know, like, oh, I'm not, I don't care. You can absolutely not be 100% tip top today and I won't respect you any less unless you do some stupid shit, <laughs> you know. But you pretty much. With Estelle, is what I can say. Yeah, no, like just be yourself is the, is, is the ethos of me, you know, and I think everyone kind of gets that. I felt that with you yeah. the moment I met you too. It's just like, I, I could tell that you were just kind of no nonsense, but at the same time, it wasn't about being tough or hard. It was just about, you haven't got time for it. It was just like, you know what? If you're cool, you're cool, we're cool. And you're not, you're it was very easy, you yeah. know, which I, I appreciated as well because, you know, I obviously look, working on television and all the rest of it, you, people have airs and graces sometimes and you can't get through. You know, and it was nice because you and I, I think, broke through pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and just had a good laugh and what have you. What was Yeah, but it's lo very London as well then. It's kind of, it's like, you know, less show busy, kind of slightly more normal. Yeah. When you're growing up in London, you get a lot of attitude, you know. It's, it was, there was a lot of attitude around. Yeah, but there's, but there's also that like, thought like, and I love this, like from growing up, like as a black woman in London and also just like a black woman in a certain economic, social economic space, right? you know what to do, you know how to move yourself around, but also like, you, you know, you know what's expected of you, you know how to behave, but also calm it down a little bit. Like, so I split the energy, <laughs> always I go here, but then I split the energy by half, you know, depending on who's in front of me. Well, in I, America? You know, yeah, in America, because I've, I know what to do. I know what's expected when I walk in a room and I know how to, but that's the thing that gets through to people is because I'm like, I know what you expect. But also, how are you human? You okay? How are you doing today is my, is my consistency because the other stuff is, is, is the expectation and expectations are boring, you know? So long as they're realistic, right? They're all right, expectations, someone said. I, I mean, no, I mean, expectations are supposed to be above. They're not supposed to be realistic to me. They're supposed to be like, shoot for the stars, right? right. But if you shoot for the stars and you get there, and then you stay there, but you haven't built a ladder or you haven't built a mountain to stand on it with, that's when it becomes like, all right, I can't, I'm not staying up here flying with you in this BS. Like, I'm, do you have anything else I could stand on in any other general, like, you know, like, so to me, it's just like finding that, that level because it's not sustainable to just be here without any kind of like breakdown. You've seen artists and you've seen stars get there, try and sustain being here and just- So you're grounded. Basically, it's grounding, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I built my own mountain so I can stand on it. If I, if I oh. want to, when I, when I want to stand here, I can do it because I built this. You know, when I want to come a quarter down the mountain, I could do that too because I built that. You know. What was, what was it like though when you first became famous? Famous. You know what I mean? When the, the big songs crack and all of a sudden everyone's like, "It's Estelle," or you know, like you walk into a room or you're the lead. That's a big change in anyone's life. It's a lot for anyone to handle. You know. You know. You. you there you are, you come from West London, you hit America, and you're like, boom, Grammy Award winning. I tried to approach it with the same, like, hi, everyone, <laughs> right, approach. And then it just, like, I realized that it wasn't going to be accepted by some, some people loved it. And some people were like, oh, what's she doing? She's not being a star. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She's not being mean to me. She's not, like, being horrible. And then it's, I started to, like, develop a little bit of a fear, right? I would literally walk in a room and be like, 
my insides would be like, oh, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. And I, I would be faking the mug. Like I'd be out here like, yes, oh! And, and at the same time on my insides, like, oh! Like, you feel like a fraud? Do you feel like you, were, you weren't the real deal? Is that what it was? No, I just didn't know what they wanted from me. Like, no, I, hear that. I do hear that some celebrities, some people, when they become famous, they're not sure when it's going to end and they're not sure why it happened. Right, well, people, they they're worthy or something. No, I know, I know, I worked for, I know, I worked for the music to be successful, so right. I knew I deserved it. Right, <laughs> I've, I've been exhausted my whole life. But the part that was was uh, frustrating was um, other people's per the perception thing, right? So people would say like, "Well, just enjoy it while it lasts," and they would say that on repeat as though they were trying to tell me the truth and who I should be and what I should expect because they didn't know my story and they didn't care to know my story. But as far as they were concerned in whatever they were dealing with, they wanted to be the truth tellers. And it was like, well, enjoy it while it lasts. Um, you're only, someone told my guy at the time, you're only here for the Hugo Boss suit. And he was like, me and him, granted we broke up now, but he was like, who, who how she gonna tell me why I'm here? Like, she don't know me. Like he got, he was offended. And I was like, I feel you. Well, this is my life every day. You don't get, you heard that one time. I hear that a thousand times a day in many different ways. Like enjoy it while it lasts. Oh, the suit, the, the, the clothes will dry up. Oh, the fame will stop. People will stop clapping. And I was like, and, I, and I'm glad because I don't do it for that. I'm all right. I don't do it for that. You know, this is a, the music for me is a deeply personal thing. You know, so. No one's ever said that to me. <laughs> Why? How come, Tom? We're going to get first. <laughs> I'm building my mountain, man. I'm building my mountain. Come on, I'm still building it, you know? Let's start somewhere. I'm building my drink. I need to start building my mountain. Cheers. Exactly what Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Let's talk about the personal aspect of it. Let's talk about your music. Because when, when I, obviously, when you listen to any of your music, it, it's so love-based. It's so kind of heartfelt. And why so many love songs? Why is that your sort of just the, the is that just because that's just what you like and what, what resonates with you? Or you just, or that's the way you want to communicate? What other parts of you do you want to talk about? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> so, um, and I've had to like, I had to like not stop, I had to find other things, right? And it take, I feel like it takes development. I think I was so obsessed as a kid with love songs because I, I grew up in a home that wasn't very, Demonstrate my my mom and my stepdad never really demonstrated love, right? My family's way of loving was chastising and then making jokes, right? Um, and it was never and my mom would hug us and stuff and like we do the base love things, but it was never like the the words were never like the consistent words of affirmation and things like that that some people grow up with, you know, because it, it, it is a cultural thing. Like we're not like the most loving community or a country we're not out the people out there doing lovey-dovey notes every you know like stiff upper lip no it's stiff upper lip right everyone just keep calm carry on like we're not gonna do all the i love yous and blah 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 and so i feel like a part of my insides is always looking for that or trying to figure out how to do it right that was my thing and then like documenting my relationships have been hilarious like i like i really talked to somebody about that she was like you know i think in order to like get the love you want and deserve, you have to start talking about it in the way that you want it instead of talking about it in past tense or in perception of how you see it. Like, what are you doing wrong? Like, how are you, you know? But isn't it like terrifying because anybody who goes out with you, or quite frankly, anybody who goes out with any female vocalist is likely to be sung in their next song is the breakup. You're like, you're basically right. order material for their next song. 
and that's the part of the try not. I've, I've tried not to do it my whole life. There is nobody. I've I, there is only one person. I'll tell I'll tell the truth. There's only one person I sang about directly, where I was like, oh my goodness, this is wild. Like he, um, and then I saw him at a show, and he literally was like, what did he say? He made me laugh. I seen him at a show, and I was like, I told him it was about him. And I never sang it like that. And then he was at a show and I told him it was about him singing it at the show. And I looked at him in the audience. I was like, all right, it's the last time I'm going to sing this and like make it clear that it's about you. I mean, I've forgiven you, sir. And we're friends again. And he was like, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> like that. But like, I try not to outwardly be like, this one person did this one thing. And it was a lightweight song. It wasn't like, I hate you. It was more just like, why can't we be more than friends? So what's your songwriting process like then? What, what, how do you come up with these love songs if they're not about your boyfriends? And if it's not, a, whose life is it about? Is it some fictional life? Well, where does it come from? Now it's everything. I start to look at, like, especially in this one new album that I'm recording in the middle of the, the virus. Um, now wow. it's more about the, the collective, like everything and everyone and my, the journey that I've been through. The thing I learned and I realized early in my career was that I'm not good at doing songs that are about things other things right in general whenever i would do like just any raps or get on stage and just rap any song about whatever people would be like yeah and then i started singing or i started rapping about specific things that i've been through and and that would just murder it it would just be ah! and i was like oh and then it started to, it went from like ah to yo you really helped me and the thing that you said on this record and oh my goodness this song helped me and then it started getting more and more like on my first time I had a song called free and this lady was like you know that song made me really leave my dude and he was like like domestic violence she was like domestic violence victim and it was it started to be that and it started to be that a lot so i was like oh my goodness like okay this is this is the path that i'm supposed to be on this it's moving people it's changing people and then i noticed especially when i wrote 1980 there were so many people that related to that so the year you were born. like the year i was born 1980s baby yeah. <laughs> but like there were so many people that related to that song great album by the way i mean great that was fantastic i mean just beautiful and it, it was i guess you know when i when i listened to it too your voice and your sound is in a way, and I mean this in the most, in the best way, because it's the kind of music I love, but it's so old school. It's so nostalgic. It's so kind of like, reminds me of just, I don't know, the beginnings of hip hop and the beginnings of kind of like Ella Fitzgerald. It's got all this kind of jazz tones to it. And is that something you developed or is that something because you listen to them or you like them? It's a lot of island there's a lot of reggae infused you mentioned bob marley earlier but yeah. it's your own but at the same time there's such an old soul there singing I, I, I was grown i was grown i have this theory that i was born in the 70s and and the 30s and i've been here a few times <laughs> and like i was just absorbing all the music in those times for this time um but like when i was young i used to love music that my grandma would listen to and then as I got older, I would listen to Mary J. Blige and, and all of that. But then I would also be on the back of the school bus listening to Ella Fitzgerald, like my friend's um, granddad's tape. It was a blue tape. I remember it. And she was like, can I have it back? And I was like, no, your granddad's not going to miss it. It's all right. <laughs> and I took it from her. And I was just like, I don't think I gave it back. But I had a Walkman and I was so like happy. I learned all of it. It was like my introduction to Gershwin and Ella Fitzgerald as a jazz musician. 
And it was just like, hold, like that was like, I didn't understand how she was doing that with her voice. You know, I didn't understand how she was doing it. So you're doing it. Thank you. You're doing it. You're doing it. And you've done all these incredible collaborations. What's that process like? Because, you know, working with other people, working with other big stars, I mean, I always wonder who gets to do what? Who gets to say? I mean, you've worked with Will I Am, you've, you know, obviously John Legend, Kanye West. And I mean, Kanye's got, everyone always says he's tough, but you ruled that song. That song was you with Kanye on the edge, as far as I'm <laughs> No. So look, that, that record was the most, um, I didn't care if he was on it or not, honestly. And I'll say this and I've said it before, like it wasn't, I was like, cool, if he's going to be on it, cool, if he's not, this record bangs anyway, we're good, you know? I remember saying to the team, look, if you guys feel like because he's not getting on this record, it's not going to go nowhere, I'm be fine. I will take myself to Ibiza and live my best life because this record is going to go in the UK and Europe. I am clear about that, right? And like, and it, and it did. And him getting on it, honestly, for us was like the bonus, just like an extra boost. It, like people love the record with or without, I think. And, and I felt that when we recorded it, I was going, I went in there and recorded it, had fun doing, what's her name, Polly from, uh, uh, what's, that, what's that show that used to be on? Um, oh, frick. Heidi no, Heidi High. They were on this like camp. There were these like- um, I remember that, that, that camp. Do you remember Tom, that show which had the Heidi High? Holy yeah, Holy Ho, yeah, Butlin. It was like- Butlins or something. Butlins, yeah. So I remember called Heidi High. Heidi Ho? Yes, it's called Heidi Ho. Yeah. American fans, we're talking about some obscure little English show that you've never heard of. Which remember the blonde girl and she was like super happy. She's like, so did see. I went in there and I literally was channeling her like, we're going to do Polly from Heidi High on this. And so when I was singing, I was like, thank you. Sir. I was really in there like, oh, like singing and just like, take me on, like really channeling right. her. And that's how I got the vocal out. It was, I was not serious. Uh, you somewhat not... ruined my um, imagination <laughs> version of what this song was like. Now you're sort of channeling Heidi High counselor. I think that's brilliant, owning it. <laughs> Heidi High. Kanye was too close to your neck when he was singing. I'm sorry, <laughs> I've got to tell you. Oh, wow. Let me tell you, he, so he came from my, my A&R manager at the time, went and got him from the um, airport, brought him to the studio and like, almost like, said like, all right, we're going to do this today. So he did it and then went, ended up in the club that I was in. It was just a weird time. But we and my friends were in the middle of the floor like raving, having a good time. It was the one club I knew that played English music. So he did his verse. I was happy. I said, we're going over there. And then we're in the middle of the floor like raving. And then they were like, big up Kanye in the house. I was like, oh, just a stick Whatever. I was having a good time, living my best life. He just come back from London too. So he was like fresh energy, like had it all on him. And so it made sense, you know? Good times. Very good times. Very good times. And it, is it a similar kind of vibe working with? I mean, I guess everyone's different, right? Everyone has their own thing. Uh, what, what is it like working with some of these other legends? Everyone that I've been in with, or everyone that I've been in with, and I've had the chance to do a video with, pretty much right afterwards. So we either met, or we they did the verse and sent it, and then I met them at the at the shoot or somewhere else. It's the same thing. If I walk up to we walk up to each other, and it's just like, you cool? You alright? cool let's you know that's the energy and it stays super level the funnest person was rick ross because like well actually robin thick was fun but <laughs> it's wild times but rick ross was fun because we were both stood we did a song called break my heart and in the video 
you see this scene where we look like we're floating on a pool, like on the edge of a pool, right? Now, the ledge was about that wide. And I have on these heels that are about that tall. And I'm walking on this ledge and he's like, I got you, babe. And I'm just looking down the back thinking, now nah, we're both going to die if anything go wrong. Like, if this is a wrap. It was just like a steep... So that was fun in itself, but he was so lovely and so cool and so like he was Rick Ross the entire time. You know what I mean? Like fun. Talking other music videos, there's elements of these. You talk about the video aspect. You know, obviously videos are important, but it's not the song. But you know, you you play a lot of. Are they a very important part of the whole process for you? Do you think? Especially now, where content is king, for sure. Like you have to do a video with everything you release. Like almost almost don't put the record out unless you have your video shot or something shot for the video so and I grew up in that in the beginning of that era and I and I came to the U.S. in the middle of when that was developing and that became the way right so all my videos had to be this level and they all had to be boom and then I then but the budgets were, were doing this you know what I mean so it was it was it was a hard juggle I learned how to do my own makeup <laughs> I learned really quickly about um, lighting. Thank you, Nigel. <laughs> Nigel, was, Nigel was real about that. Like I learned just even being around you and having done a shoot with you is like, I learned so much and I absorbed so much. And like, I know how to direct people to light me right into, and when my makeup looks crazy, when my hair looks crazy, like you have to learn, you have to be so self-sufficient. And I'm grateful for all of the training before I even came to the US because do you I'm find you work, work with black teams a lot of people who understand black skin and what have you? Because you know, I mean, ultimately when you're working with people, if they don't understand the skin color and how it actually absorbs light, re reflects light. We had this problem when we would sit at the judging panel with Tyra and myself and everyone else because, you know, the skin absorbs different amounts of light. And if you have a cast of different colored people, it does change the way you light it. It doesn't mean you can't light it. It means you have to light it well and properly and directly. And it's not one light fits all, right? So that's a big part of it, you know? Huge part. So you told me I had to go get a pair of makeup together. <laughs> Look, I'm, do you know what I was doing? I was just getting my light going, how do you like someone as red as I am? You look good. This is perfect light. We can see every, every part of you. You're okay. I love it. I love, thanks so much. Do you know what? I'm so pleased I got a compliment. It wasn't another one for Nigel. And thank you. Sorry. No, it's been a job, right? But people now are getting it. But thanks to your work, thanks to the, the amount of work that you put in, that you put in um, educating people just across the board, because it's one thing for an artist or for an actress or for someone, a, brown, a black person, a brown person in the spotlight to be like, like me right, can you find the right tones? It's different when the people who are the leaders, the people who are on the other side of the fence are saying, no, like them right, find the right colors, do the job, try at least, you know? And, and, and that, it makes me less scared. I feel like the first time I did a professional shoot in the UK, right? Oh my God, I was so, I was like, I had PTSD. So it was for Adidas, right? And I love Adidas. I love them, I love them, I love them. But the first time they had me do a shoot for them, they had this lady do my makeup and all of my skin was like, um, you see how brown I am. I look like my mom's complexion. My mom is caramel. I'm brown. My mom is a whole other shade of lighter than me. And I was like, look, I look like I was this, like, I don't even know how this goes, but I was super light skin and my neck was this color. It didn't make nobody sense. And I saw the pictures and I was like, oh. and so when I, years later, the American boy comes out, we're doing great. They're like, Adidas are like, we want to do another shoot with you. And I was like, oh shit. Oh God. 
right? But then this time around, I had my own makeup artist, and we I, I trained my makeup artist to a degree as well because forget the color part. There's a lot of makeup artists that just want to give you a drag beat, right? They just want to put all the things on your face, and I'm like, less is more with me. Less is more. It works better when there's less things on me. So you know. Don't mess with perfection. No Cleopatra, please. Please. <laughs> I don't need eyes winged out to here. I don't need um, wings for lashes. So it's been training, but I'm grateful now that people are actually, people care and people care to learn. And everybody's learning all the different shades. Because there are some black artists and some artists of color who cannot do white people's makeup to save their lives. And they will, you know, they'll give them a drag beat. And it's just like, you're doing too much. You know what I mean? But you have someone, a regular person, you have your team now, because that's really, I mean, that's part of the celebrity thing, man. Look, when you become famous, when you get those Grammys. I do. I have my team. I have my people. I stop risking my face. <laughs> in the entourage. I do. I have a little entourage, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. And when it gets real, I fly the East Coast in. <laughs> the East Coast is good. These are the perks. These are the perks of the mountain. These are the perks of building your mountain. That's right. Fly the East Coast in. Fly the East Coast, Coast in. <laughs> but talk about East Coast, West Coast. You sang about, you know, coming to the East Coast, moving to the West Coast. You're doing it all. You're actually living it. You're, you, you know, you've done it. And, and here we are. Tom's in England. I'm on the East Coast. You're in the West Coast. We're here. Woo! I think you manifest your dreams, don't you? Like, you manifest the things that you want. Like, you say it enough times or you repeat it enough times and boom, they happen. And what's better? Oh. Party. Uh, yeah. Right now, I am missing London. I cannot front. Because my family's all there mm -hmm. and my nieces are sending me videos every week and everyone's quarantined doing the most. But, like, for us, quarantine is just like, oh, regular day? So, so this is like a weekend repeat repeatedly. So everyone's just home. We go to just shop for like groceries and then like be home because this was church. Do you, can I ask you something? Do you, um, did you leave a lot of friends behind in England? I did. No one wanted to move here, one. The ones that did move here, it got, remember that perception thing I was talking about, it got unsustainable quickly. Right. You know, some of them went back. Some of them, I'm just like, oh, I can't, you can't be around anymore. And then some of them I'm still cool with. They're here and they're there. One of my friends um, was, is a beautiful thing. So the beautiful thing about this uh, quarantine is it's brought all my DJ friends out. So some of my DJ friends from London do this Friday and Saturday. Manny Norte <laughs> does a Friday and Saturday. <laughs> and everybody that I know from London is on this, on this, on this Instagram live watching them DJ and listening to songs that we all grew up with. So that's a nice... I can be there and not be there and not be, you know, it's not the energy of like, oh, I gotta ignore this person's face every time I see him and oh, I don't, or it's also like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen you. I didn't even know you were on Instagram like that. I didn't know who your page was. Now I know who you are. Let me, you know, let me follow you and stay in touch kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's you know, it's six of one, half a dozen. Someone said this to me yesterday that this quarantine business is is very bad for people who kind of lack. This clearly doesn't apply to you, by the way, but people who lack introspection. So you know, mm. it's great for people who actually are really comfortable with themselves and their own skin because actually it's giving everyone a bit of time to kind of actually you know just file things out and just get things sorted out mentally. And 
And actually, the people who, who suffer from that, who don't have introspection, are, are really, it, it's going horribly wrong. I mean, do, do you agree with that? I a thousand percent agree. I've had, I have a lot of friends who are definitely on the other side of the phone, like, oh, and I'm just like, you know, the, the plus side is you get to R in peace, do more of it. Like, think about what you could be, what, what don't you like? What, what habits you want to break? What, like, you know, like really go through your mentals, go through your energy, go through your spirit, like really use the time. And it's not easy. It really isn't. I would say the blessing of being an artist is when I'm out and I'm on the road, I'm out on the road. When I'm outside, I'm outside. When I'm in, I'm in. And I could be in for a whole week and be, do regular life things. And, but I'm in my house and I'm comfortable with that. I don't have to go to a nine to five. I don't have to do a thing. I don't have to do this thing every single day for somebody else per se. But I get to be in my house in the comfort of my home and do the thing that I love. And that forces me to look at myself and be comfortable with my skin. You're writing as well when you're in this time. Oh, for sure. Is it yeah. good time? Is it what we're really like doing more than you've done for ages? Just by foot because you've been for I mean, because you, you know. Not in this time. I've been writing my last, my new album since middle of August last year. And I was trying a, a formula that seemed to work. It was just like three, four hours a day. Um, I would go to the studio, three, four hours max. And five, we're being lazy on either side someone comes in late or the producer keeps going. But we would try and knock out one really good song, one really good song. And it's almost like, it's, it, it is magic. It really has been magic. We've done about 20 records and it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Now I like them. <laughs> Everyone I played them to is like, holy crap. And I'm just like, yes, it's, you know. You said 20? Yeah, we've knocked out about well, How do you boil that down? You don't, you just put them out back to back. <laughs> you just, if they're, if they're as good as I think they are, and I believe they are, we'll just put them out back to back, like two albums, 10 records back to back. But I think to me is the magic of like concentrating on one really good record in four, five hours, instead of saying, let's just stay here for 12 hours and see what happens. You know, I think that's what people think artists do, that we don't go in with any intention. We just kind of wait for it to fall out. The sky. It works for some people like that. And I did that for a very long time. And I was like, let me change the energy and see what happens different, you know? And we've been coming up with some records and I'm just, I can't wait to put it up. I just, I can't wait. Can you give us a sneak preview at all? <laughs> I cannot. You can't, you can't sing me something. Come on now, sing me something. I cannot, I cannot. I want to hear that beautiful voice of yours. I got you, I got you, I got you. I can't, no, I can't, I can't. Like you're filming, of course you can't. Because like, <laughs> oh, God's sake, I know. No one's watching. <laughs> <laughs> Just you and me in this room. They will be. <laughs> <laughs> they will be. Amazing. Uh, I almost got you. I almost got you. Look, you've got such a big heart. You know, you've got, you created this incredible foundation, mm. the All of Me Foundation. How do you have time? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, I started working with Richard Branson when I was 25 with his Virgin Unite Foundation. And the thing I learned from him was... Were you signed to his label? To his was it Virgin? Yeah, signed to VT Records. So, oh, 2004 even, the year I started, was over there, he invited me to come out to South Africa to sing and to be a part of his Virgin Unite Foundation outreach that he was starting out there. And I was like, cool. But I was listening and I was like, the Dalai Lama was there and like, um, um, what's the Archbishop Desmond Tutu was there and just in a room. And that, then there was me. Right, I was 24. I had this song out called 1980. 
So I was like, God, I'm here for a reason. I know I'm here for a reason. If I, I, I don't know why, but I'm just here for a reason, right? Because that's the Dalai Lama and that's Bishop Desmond Tutu and that's Richard Branson. Holy crap, right? So I'm just, but I, the thing that I learned from him in that is you don't reinvent the wheel. You just help keep the wheel pushing. So in the, and the analogy that was like, you don't go over there trying to tell people, or you don't go places trying to tell people what they should be doing. What you do is you just supply the funding. You help push the agendas along. You support the people who are on the ground doing the work, right? So when I just, people were like, well, how are you going to give back with all this you've been given? You should start a foundation. I was like, I don't have time for that. I'm never home. And at the time I was touring ridiculously. I said, well, what did, what have you learned and how will you do it? And I thought about that. That came to mind, his, his words about not reinventing the wheel, right? And I said, well, I'll start a foundation that supports and funds people who do the work on the ground. So one of the main things we did was we partnered up with a, a foundation out here. So all of me started because I wanted to help people. So the idea was like, look, if there are foundations that need some money and need some fundraising, we got you. We'll help raise the funds. We'll get it done. We'll push it out. Um, we'll help you push out whatever you got to do and help in any way we can. Right? We might links and resources in my people. If there are direct individuals that need the help, we will help them. We'll help them too. We started um, in LA in 2012. Well, we started before that, but in LA in 2012, we took 17 kids and their parents, some parents, to Senegal after they graduated doing a course for us. Um, in Where are your mothers from? Are you part Senegalese? Yeah, my mom was born in Senegal and raised in Sierra Leone. And so, like, this all West Africa. <laughs> like, just had that little whole little back of the head bit on the back West of Africa. West London, West Africa, you know, West yeah. Coast. We say there, West Coast, West, West. West. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I have an affinity with the West. It works. But, like, so to me, it was, that was my first trip back to Africa was Senegal when I was seven. Kanye West. Sorry, I just felt, remember that as well. Oh my goodness, you just pulled that up. Ooh, it's true. <laughs> now, if I have a kid, I'll go call the baby West, don't I? Like, it's all like, <laughs> all right, little girl, your name's West. All right, cool. Breaking <laughs> news. <laughs> <laughs> but like, we took them to Senegal. That's the first place I went to when I was a kid. And it's just like, it gave me such a grounding. And it, it made me know who I was to a degree. My grandma came with us and it just like set me in a certain space. So on a 1980, I say I touched Africa and came back darker. I literally did. Knowing myself and feeling my roots a little bit harder. I was like, that was from that trip. So to me, Africa, West Africa to me has been the touch point. So we took the kids there. They got to spend a few days and built a library and talked to some kids that were living in the village. They got to see the city just in general they got and some of them they got to like essentially just be in another place outside of what's which is like a very insular neighborhood in LA where you kind of don't really leave what's we look so, look some points on the course we take them out we took we take them from what's and we move them up to La Loyola which is a bit closer in to central um Los Angeles right if if what's is super west and it's like going or super south this was kind of like a little bit up, if we're putting it in London terms, it's like going from Peckham to um, Knightsbridge, right? So we took them, essentially, we'd make them travel up from Peckham to Knightsbridge every day, experience a different energy, a different type of person. And then we'd take them out places to eat. So some days it would be like Roscoe's and some days it'd be Chipotle. And then one time we cooked for them and brought them food. And it was just different experiences outside of the training, the personal training, mentoring, right? And had friends come in. 
from different walks of life in LA and mentor them and talk to them about business and, and just where they could go just to see something different. Because I realized I was to see something different at a young age and I didn't feel weird about going on tour when I was 19 because I traveled already. You know, I didn't feel like, oh, I, I, I got to get on a plane. Like they want me to go tour in Belgium. Belgium, I, to know Bel I was like, yeah, let's go Belgium. <laughs> you know, I've been to Africa. I can go to Belgium. Belgium's right around the corner. We good. You know, like it was just, the fear was gone. And then, and then you see the stages in my life. I moved to LA and I moved to New York on my own at 27. And I'm just, I just go where I want and I become who I've become. And so to me, that's, that's, the, that's the thing for me. It has to have a base in mentoring. It has to have a base in um, encouraging young people to do and live and just be. And I don't care where you're from. I just want you to be and live and not waste your life, you know, not waste your intentions about your life either. Don't listen to anybody else. If you don't have family members that encourage you, find a place that will and will support that person, will support that place, you know. And that's, that's why I started all of me, because it takes a village. That's fantastic. Amazing. Well done, you. Congratulations. What a lovely thing to have done. Well done, the kids. They, they're doing it. <laughs> they're amazing right now. Yeah. Some of them are so great. Amazing what you've done and, and beautiful what you've done. And I've seen a lot of the videos and, and you can see the kids' faces and how moved they are. And it's so important. I mean, look, music is about giving back in many ways. Music is about moving people. And, you know, your music definitely does that. And I, there isn't a time when I don't put one of one of your songs that I don't get taken somewhere and, I, and I'm like smiling inside and, you know, even though I know you and it's sort of there's that degree of separation kind of disappears because I know you yeah you still uh, it doesn't matter I'm like I dream when I listen to your music and that's that's the point right that's why the Grammys are there that's why people rec <laughs> you know love you that's why you're you're basically an icon in your own time Thank you. we, fantastic look we've got one more thing before we let you go we'd mm -hmm. love to do what we call last orders on this on shaking the third it's rapid fire questions are you ready uh -huh. Okay, I, no, hold on, I need a second. Did you know about this? Oh, mm. <laughs> Let's go, come on, I'm ready. All, All right. right, pretty simple. How many cocktails can you safely drink before becoming drunk? Three. Do you snore? Absolutely. <laughs> you do, I love yes. it. Yes. Salt or no salt? Salt. Best pickup line? Oh. Oh, that's hard. My pickup line or somebody else? No, no, it could be whatever. Oh, no. I don't have any good ones. I What's have... The worst one, then? The worst ones. Oh, the worst ones when they creep in my DMs on my Instagram and they say, hey, hey, um, hey, queen. Um, oh, one hit me with, hey, queen. You so beyond astonishing or some, some really wrongly worded long word. And then was like, you know, I do security and I wanted to throw my phone because <laughs> I tell you the amount of security guards that creep in my DMs telling me they want to secure me, it's the worst. It's Ooh. the worst. You, no securing her, please. No, She's I'm quite good. secure in her own security. I'm secure. I'm good. It's and fine. finally, would you describe yourself as shaken or stirred? Ooh, stirred. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> and best served straight up, no doubt. <laughs> Estelle, we love you. Thank love you so you. much. You are a darling. So good. Thanks for coming on Shaken and Stirred. Bye. Congratulations. Good luck on the new album. Thank you. It's a good time. Take care of yourself. Thanks, everybody. This has been Shaken and Stirred from England, New York, and LA. <laughs>